We're here on another episode of Journey Doses with Ash and Ty. Today, our guest is Jason Grichanik, one of my teachers in life, um, but so many different things to offer. Uh, He has a podcast that we'll definitely talk about called The Universe Within, and uh, he offers a lot of different things. But hello, Jason. Welcome to the show, brother. (laughs) Nice to see you guys. Yeah, I just realized um, I don't think my headphones are actually working. That could be part of the problem. Oh, um, that's okay. You sound fine. Yeah. Yeah, we'll just go with it. Sounds fine to me. Okay, cool. Well, I'll just I'll take those off then because they don't seem to be actually working. <laughs> Technology is my my arch nemesis, so we'll just roll with the punches. Yeah, let's just get right into that, man. So uh, I experience you as very. Um, one with nature kind of guy in that a lot of the work that you do um, has to do with plant medicines. But now you're in the game of podcasting, which is very much, you know, (laughs) in use of technology. So what's it been like for you getting into that game and sharing what your experience has been in a whole different world now to a technological kind of um, different world, I should say. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, first, uh, thank you both for having me on. It's it's a pleasure to see you guys. And uh, um, we we met, I don't know, a few years ago now, I guess, at the in the Amazon. And uh, and then we worked together recently. So yeah, it's a pleasure for me to be on. Um, you know, I, I, I've, I think I've kind of had an interesting life where I grew up in, in Virginia outside of the, the Washington, D.C. area. So I think in my life, I, I always had, I, I had access to cities. So I was very much engrossed in that culture, but I was also, I, I had access to the woods and, you know, it's funny because we, we met in the Amazon and, mm-hmm. and I think people always ask, you know, like, this seems like such a foreign climate, like, how do you adjust? And I'm like, feels like growing up, like I grew mm-hmm. up in the woods of Virginia and it's, it's basically, uh, you know, I, I, Marav, who, who you met, who I work with, we just ran a retreat in uh, in upstate New York and that was the first time she had been and she arrived to like the, you know, the jungles quote unquote of upstate New York. And she was like, Oh my God, like, it's so green. Like uh, this is greener than the Amazonian jungle. Like I've never seen an area so lush and fertile. Um, so I think in that way, I, I've always kind of had a foot in both worlds. I, I very much grew up around the city, but my, my grandparents, which, that's probably the place of all of the different homes I've had where I felt the most at home. It was like the the thing that was most uh, stable and steady. And and that was like very much in the countryside with, with animals and plants and, um, and, you know, I think it's kind of an interesting analogy because very much of this work of, of plant medicine work, shamanism, 
I think one of the best analogies is, is having a foot in both worlds, is, is having a foot in, in the world of this reality, but then also beginning to understand what's beyond that. And, and I think, you know, any, any person, especially who does this work, it's, it's really important to have a foot in both worlds. Um, <clears throat> you know, like a, a good curandero, a good shaman actually never lives in the middle of nowhere. Why? Because then they can't help anyone. <laughs> Their work is essentially pointless. So, uh, you know, I think it's really, it's really important to have that balance. And so I guess directly to your question, I'd been living in the jungle for, I guess it's been about 10 years now or so, maybe, maybe wow. a little bit less. And it, the idea of having a podcast was always something I had been thinking about. But due to the, the schedule that I was working, you know, often like 18 hour days, sometimes mm. seven days a week, um, it just really wasn't feasible. And that on top of the fact that in, in the jungle, there's really no reliable Internet. Um, so that, that, <laughs> no? that pretty much <laughs> that made it a pretty clear cut answer. But, you know, one of the maybe one of the few benefits that I see of the pandemic, at least personally, was um, with the closing of, of that work, it, it kind of gave me an opportunity to go to a different area outside the jungle where there was internet and also to have the time to, to actually begin that. And, and really the reason behind that was, uh, you know, essentially what we're doing now is, is, is to, to give voice to, to this work, to, to get it out to a broader audience. And, uh, and I think really to, to share in that way, because there, there is a real power in technology. I mean, of course it has its, its downside, but it has an amazing capability too. So. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Thanks for sharing that with, you know, your whole background. And I actually noted right after you said it the first time, foot in both worlds, uh, and then you said it again and, and reemphasized the importance of it. And I really experience you to be very grounded in both sides of, of the worlds that we're talking about, like the real world reality here, you know, I can touch this and feel this versus the plant world and the spirit world in some way, or the universe within we might say. Um, so I'll just say like, great job on that. I, I find it hard in my own experiences to come back and go back and forth between those. And I'm sure with experience that changes. So your experience certainly shows to me. I just wanted to echo two things that he said, not necessarily a question, but two things that I think he said that um, are great to echo. One is that uh, you are from my perception of what you've shared, aware of the doors that open. And so I think I was very aware of that from the very beginning when everything was shutting down with the pandemic, but to be, you know, it's easy to close on what, focus on what doors are closing and this is shutting down. This is not an opportunity anymore. This is getting taken away from me, but to then be aware of what, because of that, what doors are opening and, and what opportunities are now presented to you because of this. And I think um, with that reframing and that perspective, we can see the opportunity that's come to all of us. So that was just one thing I wanted to echo from what you were saying. And the other thing that I loved as well is um, just the, your whole perspective around the way technology can serve the work that you're doing. And I love that you say like a shaman needs to be with the people. Otherwise, what's the point? Um, and I think it's easy to, you know, for us, we're going to start being a lot more virtual as we travel. 
and especially for Tyler, who's used to working in person with his clients, is going to have to do a lot more virtual work and there's some hesitation and resistance to it. But when you get, when you step into this world where, um, you're, you're, you're on your own healing journey and now you want to share that with others, technology is and can be a beautiful platform to share that and shine your light a little bit further than your immediate neighbor. And I just like uh, the way that you have put technology in this sense in a positive light. So I don't have any question. I just wanted to echo those. (laughs) Yeah. So would you mind sharing, Jason, like how you found the jungle and the world of the plants and then share your experience of how wild last year was for you because you've shared that story with me and and it seems to have been a big transition for you now um and I realize that's a big chunk of time so (laughs) you know however you want to phrase it or or share it we'd love to hear yeah I I think probably in my early 20s I, I became very interested in in for lack of a better word spirituality um and I was just, I found myself, I was living in New York and I would go to all of these bookshops and I didn't have much money back then. So I would just, you know, sit in the bookshops and consume whatever I could, uh, things about, you know, yoga and Hinduism and, and Vedic philosophy, Taoism, uh, Christianity, Islam, just whatever I could. And um, there was just, there was a really deep drive in me that, that had a curiosity. And, and I, I think it was something that was always in me. And, and I just began to, when I had that freedom, I think for the first time in my life, when I was out of school, to be able to delve into things that were interesting to me, that's, that's where the road kind of turned to. And so then I started doing a lot of practices, like uh, a lot of yoga and martial arts and, um, I ended up traveling around the world for two years, which is is probably a whole another story. Um, but when I when I came back to New York um, from that trip, I uh, I had heard of ayahuasca, um, and at that time it was something that was very rare. But I had heard of it because a good friend of mine was in the Santo Daime Church, which is a big Brazilian organization that, that works mm-hmm. with ayahuasca. Um, so I had known about it for a long time through him, but something about it just didn't resonate. Uh, you know, I may be similar to you. I, I grew up and, you know, it was also an era of like seeing these commercials on TV of like, you know, this is your brain and this is your brain on drugs and an egg <laughs> frying. And um, I was really into sports growing up. And so that always just seemed something very like foreign, like that's what, you know, losers did or, taking something from outside to try and cover something that, that I could do myself through perseverance, through physical activity. But I, I think, you know, there was still that longing inside me that knew that something was off and something personally was off, but also something like as a greater whole, like a, a true human condition that, that I didn't feel was being fulfilled not only in my life, but also what I saw around me. And, and I think that's something I began to fa- find in, in some of these older traditions, which was these ideas that, that humans have been looking for this since time immemorial. I mean, that's, <laughs> mm-hmm. that's like the very first thing the Buddha spoke of is, you know, suffering is inherent to being a human. There's inherently this longing. Um, 
And, you know, often, often in this day, we, we think like the world is so bad, like climate change and social injustice and all of this stuff, you know, technology, but 2000 years ago, they were speaking about the exact same thing, just in different ways, like mm -hmm. humans are suffering. And mm -hmm. <laughs> what do yeah. we do about that? Is there a way out of that? Um, so at some point, uh, this, this one particular plan, especially ayahuasca, really started kind of calling me. Um, I had already had like a really deep interest in, in herbal medicine, kind of more of like a European lineage of that. Uh, things like traditional Chinese medicine, Ayurveda, just medicine in general, and especially with plants really started interesting me. Um, and I, you know, I was experimenting and, and doing all these natural remedies and, and working with people. But always this kind of more for again, for a lack of a better word, this shamanic way always really fascinated me. But it always seemed like something very far out, like it was, you know, in the jungles of the Amazon or the taiga of Siberia or, you know, the, these really like places like, you know, where do I go to find this? It, and, and a lot of it seemed like it was dead, actually, like it, it, it had kind of faded out. There weren't like living practitioners of it. And so when ayahuasca kind of started calling me and that may sound strange but i think a lot of people who've had that calling maybe understand it it's just something where something in me knew stronger and stronger and more and more clearly that i needed to work with this plant and it was very specifically this plant and um so kind of that resistance started breaking down and eventually like the calling was so strong. I was like, okay, I, I have to do this. Whatever's going on in my life, I need to stop it and, and go down to the jungle. And, and I made that choice to go down to the jungle because I really wanted to work with that plant in its native environment with people who had a long tradition of working with it. Um, and I ended up at, at where we met at the, the, the plant healing center, the temple, the way of life, mm. temple, the way of light. Is that where your first experience <laughs> pretty was? Pretty bad. I don't even know their name. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, say that again. Is that where your first experience was? It was. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Mine too. So I came there originally as a guest and, uh, you know, and, and it was funny. It was kind of serendipitous and, it, <laughs> you know, again, these things sound kind of strange, but, but the more I, begun to work with these plants that kind of in retrospect I, I see and and I have a feeling of like how and why these things are actually working the way that they do um, but at the time I went the, the owner was still facilitating at the time and he was looking for someone to come and and start a, a longer term program and and I often joke he he, he chose me because you know I, I did know some of these things like meditation and yoga mm. some of the things uh, they were looking for but i think i was the only person in that workshop who actually like sat up the entire experience mm. and wasn't like screaming and crying and losing my <laughs> shit but most of that was because i was just in such awe of what was happening like there was no words or emotions to be coming out it was just <laughs> mm. you know complete like oh my god like mm -hmm. but that really was what i needed like i that was what i was looking for i needed to see and experience that awe and, and to mm because that was what I was looking for was really that kind of initiation or that, that, that seeing the world in a different way, something that I always knew existed, but I had never had like that deep experiential experience of what that was like. Um, so I ended up coming back a few months later and, and starting to work and, 
and it, it was originally I, I was going to come down there for one year and after a year I, I left and I, I did a really long process of dieting different plants which you're you're now familiar with and uh, I went through a you know pretty intensive initiatory experience with that and continued to work with ayahuasca and different plants and uh, and then I guess to answer your question that all led up to, to 2020 where we went into lockdown and <clears throat> that was pretty intense I mean you know, for me, it didn't feel that intense because, again, like being in the woods felt feels somewhat normal. Um, I, I have a very, I think, good relationship with a lot of the local people there. So there was still communication, but there was a lot of fear, um, you know, and it's, it's something it's something I, I think, you know, without getting too much into politics, but especially being from the outside looking in, I think so much so many of the things that are being discussed in America, they're really important, but I think there's not a context of, of how to place those in and, and really a deeper understanding of what's also happening in the rest of the world. And, mm. um, you know, certainly some people have a bad in the U S to a relative extent, but, you know, even in Peru, there was a lot of xenophobia. I mean, if you were Chinese or if you were white, I mean, there was, people were throwing bleach on people, people were raping people, people were lynching people. I mean, you know, so it, it was it was pretty bad in a lot of ways. Uh, you know, also in general, people don't have access to a lot of information, so all they're receiving is kind of the propaganda that's coming from the government and the foreign people were the evil people, and um, so it was pretty intense, you know. And and I th even in the jungle, it's like a lot of what we're relying on are like outside food sources coming in, you know, roads being open. And when all of that shut it, to, to a large degree, it's like, okay, well, we're on our own now. And, and you know, how, how do we survive? And, and actually, I think it went really well. I mean, it, it was a very challenging experience of just the, the logistics of what was going on, obviously being in a, a very enclosed environment, interpersonal stuff comes up. Um, so I, I think it was a, a real learning experience for a lot of people. Um, but but definitely emerging from that also allowed me to to eventually begin this podcast and um, I think to to really begin to focus more on my own work too, which is something that that I knew I had been wanting to do and was doing to to an extent. But uh, that was really one of the the kind of the impetus that that allowed me to do that as well. So, what a journey, <laughs> and, and so it continues. <laughs> so it continues. Uh, did you have any questions about? No. Um, I mean, there's a lot of things I have question about within that questions about within that, but um, this sense of awe, the way I experience that is um, very much what's missing in the world, and this awe or wonder, um, this deep curiosity it's very much missing in my experience. Um, why do you think that is? It's a great question. And, and it's something I've, I've, I've really thought a lot about and, and, and something I've, I've, I've really seen in my work. And, you know, I think, you know, to a large degree, what we would call Western society, which is really most society now uh, around the world, 
it's amazing, you know, and again, I think that's something a lot of people sometimes fail to recognize is like all of the amazing benefits that have come out of that things like science and rationality and um, development and innovation and um, but like anything, when, when something gets taken to an extreme, there's a cost to that, and, and we begin to lose things. And, and, and I think a, a lot of what's happened is, is through that rationality, there's a deep desire to understand things with the rational mind. And again, that's a beautiful thing, but it also has its limits. And there's a beautiful saying in Zen, which is a knife can cut all things but a knife can never cut itself. And, and that's how I, I like to think about the mind. You know, the mind has the potential to know all things, all things that are manifested in the universe. The mind has the potentiality to know that, mm. but it can never know itself because the, the very mechanism of knowing, it can never know the thing that is actually doing that. Mm -hmm. And that's where the sense of awe comes in and the sense of not knowing. And I think what all of these, these religions and spirituality are pointing to, you know, there's a time and a place for action. There's a time and a place for non-action. There's, there's the masculine, there's the feminine. And when any of these things get out of balance, we have a disharmony, we have a disease. And I think that's where so many diseases of the modern world are coming from. They're actually not physical diseases. The, the, the physical diseases is, is often the end product of that, of that disease but its origin on a on a secondary level is actually the mind their mental illnesses and on a primary level they're actually spiritual illnesses they're illnesses of, of spirit where we've become disconnected we, we've lost that sense of awe we've lost that sense of magic of mystery and when we try and know everything without the understanding that there are things that are unknown, namely ourselves, <laughs> uh, then we, we get lost in that constant search to try and know and name and label and separate everything. And, and we lose the very essence of what it means to be a human being, which is returning to source. Mm. And it, I think a lot of that is also a product of, of the time, the places we live in, it, it, like no, no time in history, more people live in cities than anywhere else. And again, there's a beauty to that, but even, you know, for example, the, the work I'm doing, most of the people who come down tend to be from cities. They tend to be very well educated. They, they tend to be rather wealthy. Um, and there's an intelligence to that, <laughs> but there's often very often a real disconnect in a lot of those people. And a lot of, again, of the ailments they're suffering from are things like depression, anxiety, lack of purpose, lack of connection, uh, not just feeling off. And again, you know, I think those things are real spiritual diseases. And, uh, you know, a lot of that, I think it can be seen again in this rationalistic thinking I think atheism too really begins to contribute to that because the world is seen as something that can be known and understood. And if I can't experience it with my five senses, then that means it must be false, but it's the same illogical thinking as what a stereotypical person, you know, atheist like that may judge a religious person saying, well, that person is dumb because they believe in something they can't touch or, mm. or feel or smell. Mm they're falling under the same fallacy which is because i can't taste touch or smell that it must be false <laughs> so it's the same thing just from the other side mm -hmm. you know but also the reality is 
you know, and again, these are these are big generalizations. But if you take that person who blindly believes in God, very often they're much more happy than the person who blindly believes there is no God. Mm, <laughs> if yeah. you have to choose one or the other, at least that person is experiencing some form of happiness. They're they're experiencing some form of peace because they're also at least under the realization that there are things in their lives that are out of their control, that are beyond their knowing. And I think one of the, the truly amazing things about these plants and, and getting back to this idea of awe is, you know, you can take the most rational atheistic person and you give them a very, very large dose of ayahuasca and that view, that worldview, which it is, you know, it's a worldview, it's a cosmovision, that's probably going to be shattered <laughs> very quickly because mm -hmm. there's going to be things that arise that are beyond what they know or what they feel they can understand. Now, a lot of people will also just kind of rationalize that away as well. That's just, you know, brain chemistry happening. And, and again, this is a big subject, but, but this is why, you know, from a shamanic point of view, as you were talking about this, this having a foot in both worlds, like any, any shaman worth their salt would say that this reality is real. You know, what we can touch and sense and smell, that is real. But also that shamanic reality, that space of dreams, that space of an altered state of consciousness when we take plants, that's also real. You know, and, and it's not from some weird sense. It's from this very deep sense that I think all of these traditions are pointing towards, which is that wherever you are, that's where you are. So whether you're in, in this state of consciousness, <clears throat> and, you know, we even know in this reality, there's many different states of consciousness. Even if you look at things like brain waves, mm -hmm. we're, we're never static. We're never stable. Our consciousness is always changing. It's in a continuous state of change. <clears throat> which is also a very scientific idea. You know, that's, that's like science 101, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, entropy is death. Life is change. It's growth. It's evolution. Mm -hmm. So we're always in a state of change. We're always in a state of growth and these altered states, which we actually go into, even in, in what we would call this reality, we also go into those in, in altered states of reality, things like dreams, which are an extremely altered state of consciousness. When we take plant medicines, we go into a very altered state of consciousness. And from a shamanic path, they would say that's also reality. And they would even many times go so far as to say that's even more real than this world because we're not actually bound by the very real laws of this reality, things like time and space, mm. you know, gravity. Yeah. And in that reality, we have a chance to fully explore what it means to be a human being. And going back to that sense of awe is that's a very common experience that people have is this sense of going beyond the mind, going beyond the rational and experiencing things that they haven't been able to experience in this life. And often that's a very, very profound change because it's not something that anyone can take away from you. You know, people can try and rationalize it or diminish it. But for people, I think, who've really gone into that, it's an experience that someone can't take away. And it's why you see through a lot of these studies, like, you know, people have had near-death experiences or like Johns Hopkins, who's worked with psilocybin with people on their on terminal, terminally ill conditions. You look at those people and they've had an experience 
And it doesn't matter what someone says to them, you look at them and they have a sense of peace. They have this glow to them where even though they know they're going to die, they've experienced something that nobody can take away from them. They've experienced that they're okay, that their life has meaning, that their family is gonna be okay. And there's a deep peace that comes from that. And so I think that sense of awe, it, it's so important. It's so important of what it means to be alive, to be a human being. Mm -hmm. Because without that, we just fall into this trap of this very mechanistic way of being that, you know, I'm born, I die, that's it. Life has no meaning. And that's a pretty empty way of living one's life. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Can I... Yeah. Can I say something? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for everything you just said. So many beautiful nuggets, but something that I was holding on to that I really wanted to follow up with is, you know, we're talking about curiosity. We're talking about maybe some people who have lost their connection to spirituality or maybe the purpose of life or whatever it is. Something that I've always wondered about, and I wonder what you would say to this point is, and I should also add as well, like before this, you're talking about your journey and how ayahuasca was just calling you. Now, everyone kind of is on their own path and fall into something like plant medicine if they ever do in their own way. But what would you offer to someone who's listening to this and they don't necessarily feel called? Maybe they're wondering if they lack curiosity or connectedness and they're kind of figuring out how do I, where do I start? Like, What's the spark? What would you offer to someone who, who is interested in starting their journey and, and they're, they're, they're not sure if they're feeling called or, or they're just kind of lost? What, what does someone do when they want to start? You know, it's like, where is, where's the green light? Where's the go? I think, as you said, like having that curiosity is huge. And, and I think that's also what, again, one of the fundamental things of what being a human being is. When we've really lost that curiosity, we're dying. And I mean that in a real way. Like the, <clears throat> to lose that curiosity is, is to lose that zest for life. And, and essentially, we're just then on a slow march towards our death. You know, I think if you look at, at, at any people who are really happy or you look at older people who've had like really long fulfilled lives, almost always there's there's like a deep curiosity, like they wake up and, OK, I'm, I'm 95 years old, but man, there's still all of this stuff I want to do. I, I want to mm -hmm. learn like, you know, it's this endless journey of, of what we were talking about earlier, which is actually knowing. And that's the good side about knowing is, is the curiosity that 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 deep longing to, to really try and be a whole person. And that requires growth. I mean, again, that's that's the life-giving energy is, is evolution, growth. So the only way we, we grow and evolve is to have that curiosity, that deep curiosity of life. So, you know, I, I think the vast majority of people have that. It's in them. Like maybe they become disconnected from it. But if you have like a really strong calling saying, for example, with plant medicine, no, that's not for me, then that's a really clear answer. But if you're uncertain, then that's also part of the curiosity. Uncertainty is a curiosity. It's maybe this is good. Maybe this isn't good. I don't know. Let's 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 explore this. Let's jump into it. And maybe we find it's not good for us. And, and that's perfectly legitimate. I mean, you know, plant medicine isn't the answer for everyone. 
maybe in their lives or at least not in this moment you know i if someone has a lot of resistance to to a plant medicine or to any path like you wouldn't want to force that on them i love martial arts martial arts isn't for everyone um it's amazing i think anyone could and would benefit from martial arts but if you really have a resistance to it and you don't want to do it it, it might not be the best thing um <clears throat> but i you know i think kind of going back to 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 buddhism it's this idea that that everyone is suffering and that you know anyone who can admit that <laughs> either they're they're lying to some degree or they just they haven't gone deep enough into themselves um and that's not to say like suffering is life you know the two aren't correlated that that was also the buddhist teaching is that there's a way out of that there's there's a path to liberation there's a path to happiness but that suffering it, it's also not a bad thing it, it's it's something that's actually very beautiful because only often only through that suffering through whether it's depression or anxiety or not being happy or not having a, a life's purpose we feel that you know and that 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 suffering that pain is real whether it's a, a physical pain it's it's a mental pain a spiritual pain there's something in us that knows like something is not quite right you know, that was the original definition of sin you know sinning has been kind of misconstrued in all of these ways but it, it originally it had to do with archery and hitting the bullseye and that essentially the goal of life was was to to hit the bullseye to to be centered to be in the middle to be whole and to sin was just to be off and it's just the same definition as yoga you know yoga means to come to center and it was like this idea of yoking the the ox to to plow the fields the ox is always going to be a little bit off it's not a bad thing that's just that's nature he's never he or she's like he he's never going to go completely straight so the idea is to steer it back to center so that as much as we can we're resting in that state of wholeness so i think once we recognize that you know all of us are longing for something then that's where that curiosity begins to arise and, and that's where that spark comes to to search like how do i find my wholeness because my wholeness is going to be different from someone else's what i'm drawn to is going to be different what what i need is going to be different um and to begin to find that and there's going to be things that are very effective for us and there's going to be other things that are not effective for us and and that's how we learn and grow as we we try something if if it doesn't work we we let it go and we move towards what does work <clears throat> and certain things you know also in in the natural evolution of every one of us we go through different life stages had i come to plant medicine at at 13 maybe it would have been amazing but maybe not too because that might not have been what i was ready for at that time so um you know i i think a lot is just is trial and error and you know even again that doubt for me is a really important aspect of, of curiosity yeah i love that uncertainty that actually i the question i was pondering during much of that was along your your journey with the plants or spirituality it doesn't even need to include plants but once you found spirituality and the path and yearning for more or deeper i should say have you ever found yourself so discouraged or lost within that journey that you question like what the fuck am i doing and i preface that with because i my own judgment of my own journey is that there's really hard times and in those hard times i judge myself like oh man like <laughs> 
this is this is rough like this stuff is supposed to be making me feel better misconception right that's not always the case so in your own path have you noticed those lulls those valleys those peaks and how that how do you how you work with those for sure and and i think that's super important to always have i mean even now i I feel quite content even with this work. Like if, if I was never able to do this work again, I would be okay with that. Like if for whatever reason, that's what life presented to me, whether I got super ill or, or a different path came along or, you know, <laughs> the direction we're moving in, maybe the world shuts down and that's not possible. You know, I, I would be content with that. Like I also feel like I've gotten something very beautiful out of that, that I can take and, and continue my own, my own path. But there's been, you know, there's been very deep challenges. I mean, I think I was telling you when, when I did my first dieta with tobacco, I mean, mm-hmm. the very first night I drank, I thought I was going to die. And I, I, you know, I had taken I many to shit myself when you told me that story. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was, ve- I mean, it, it was, I was passed out on the floor. My heart was racing. I was pouring sweat. I literally couldn't speak. I couldn't move. I couldn't move my arm, you know, and I was thinking, even though this guy is like supposedly maybe a few doors down, I I can't contact him anyway. Like, (laughs) um, and it was a real challenge. And, you know, all of these thoughts were going through my mind. Like, why am I doing this? This is stupid. I was cursing the guy who recommended me this. Um, (laughs) You know, I'm thinking this guy is like the, 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 my now teacher. I'm thinking, you know, maybe he's, he's the devil. He's a brujo. He's, a <laughs> he's poisoned me. Uh, I'm never coming back from this. You know, my parents are going to have to like find out, you know, two months later that I've died in my own pool of vomit on this floor. <laughs> oh, God. Um, so, you know, all of these, the, these thoughts are, are running through the head and, but it's also very normal. And it's something that I think has also helped me now in this work I'm doing is because I've also experienced all of those. I've experienced them myself. And, and, and I've now having worked, you know, one of the blessings of working at the temple is I've worked with thousands of people now and it's the same thought patterns. Like none of these are new thought patterns. These are, these are like collective thought patterns. They, they run through everyone's mind. They, they may differ. They may be different in, in, in the exact way they manifest, but they're universal. They're, they're, they're thoughts of doubt, of uncertainty, of self-preservation. And it, again, those are essential things. Like if those things were never there, th- there would be no test. There would be no trial. There would be nothing to overcome. Like, again, life wouldn't have meaning. Life would have literally no meaning if there wasn't difficulty, if there wasn't darkness, if there weren't challenges to overcome. And that's where I think having a calling is, is very important because there was still something in me that knew that calling was was deeper than what was surfacing, you know, in the material world, in those thoughts, in, in, in the doubts. There was something in me that knew I had to continue. <clears throat> if that wasn't there, I wouldn't have. I would have said, you know, when, when I did survive and wake up the next night, I would have said, okay, you know, that's it. You can keep the money. I'm out. I'm done. Um, but something kept me going back, you know, something deeper in myself. So yeah, having those lulls and those challenges, it's, it's, it's very normal. And, 
even in this work, it, it's something we, we talk about a lot is, uh, you know, what do we really want? What do we want as a human being? And I think at the root, what most people want is something along the, the lines of peace. They want, they want peace. They want contentment. They want a feeling of love. They want a feeling of, of wholeness, of, of connection. And if that's what we really want, we will be challenged. And we have to go through things that are going to, to say, like, do I really want that? Mm. You know, do I really want that? Because it's very easy to say, like so many things, it's very easy to say we want these things. But when those challenges come, is that, is that desire deep enough? And if it is there, we'll, we'll overcome that challenge. You know, the the, the <laughs> one of maybe the, the dirty little secrets of plant work is is <laughs> it, it doesn't necessarily become easier. It becomes more difficult because we're actually getting closer to that thing we're actually looking for. So the challenges have to become greater and greater and greater, ultimately okay. moving towards <laughs> this idea of death. You know, that that's and, and that may sound strange to people, but essentially that's what all plant medicine, spirituality, religion, that's what it's all moving towards is death. Mm -hmm. And it's something, you know, especially in our society, we don't like to talk about. But if I can be completely content with losing everything, you know, and, and not even death in a sense of like, oh yeah, you know, some idea that one day I'm going to die. But that experience in this moment of everything I know dissolving the sense of who I am, all of my past, all of my thoughts, all of my beliefs, even this reality of the earth I stand on dissolving into nothingness. Is that desire still there? <laughs> am I still willing to go into that? Hmm. And again, if that's what we're really looking for, those challenges are going to become harder and harder. Now, the good news is with each challenge that we overcome, life becomes that much better. You know, we embody that thing we're looking for that much more. So, you know, with all of these things, it's, that's why we also, that, that's, I think, again, that idea of natural evolution is, you know, we're always evolving and moving towards that. And, and also to be really gentle with ourselves, like we're, we're, we're not going to achieve that thing right away. You know, even even these archetypical archetypal stories of like the Buddha and Jesus, they, they didn't just achieve that. It was it was constant, constant work to eventually they reached the point where they said, you know, I think I think it was the Buddha, you know, very symbolically under a tree, which wasn't random, <laughs> you know, <laughs> under a tree, he was sitting there and he said, I will sit here even if I die, but I will find what I'm looking for. And that's kind of the dedication that it took for him to finally be able to achieve that. There's a quote that I'm sure I got from you in your podcast, because you've said it one, once or twice, but um, I believe it's Aristotle. And you probably know where I'm going with, if it is Aristotle, either Aristotle or Plato, but to die before you die is the greatest wisdom, or that's how you find the greatest wisdom. Um, and our society, as you said, is just not acknowledging death at all, let alone inviting an experience, a faux experience per se, um, and respecting that or desiring that in some way initiation. And that's for me, 
probably the biggest reason why I got into plant medicine at all, because ever since I could remember as a young child, I contemplated and felt the, what I experienced as the emptiness of the void on the other side of life. Like from fucking seven years old on, I'm laying in bed, giving myself panic attacks, thinking about this, like, why, why is that there for me? Uh, and I still, <laughs> I keep going back because I need to get as close as I can to accepting that as possible before the time comes. And as hard as each experience has been for me and fuck, my last one was really, really hard. I just know I have to go back. The work doesn't finish in my opinion. Um, And it doesn't necessarily need to be with plants all the time, but the work is always there Um, because we change the world change. Our experience changes how could the work not change or adapt in getting there? Yeah. It's interesting. You have, you've expressed like a fear of death. Yeah. I don't, I, I, it's interesting to hear you reflect on you were seven years old and you're sitting thinking about what's the point of life and what's on the other side and feeling, feeling that void and feeling that emptiness where for me, I've not really sat with that. I've not really felt like an extreme fear of death or anything. Um, Do you feel Tyler, like through your work that you have relinquished any part of your fear of death? Like, or is that still very looming? Mm. It comes in waves Mm. for sure. Um, I'd say like it's diminished slightly. Mm-hmm. But yeah, um, and I'll speak to my my last ayahuasca experience another time. But like that was probably as as challenging of an experience I've ever had. Which is I messaged you shortly after, like, does dieting tobacco make ayahuasca experience you know stronger in any way? And um, it certainly did for me. Um, and there's a couple things I want to recycle back around to, but um, suffering as a part of the human experience. I love posing the question to people about suffering uh, in different ways, but to me, suffering is the perspective we're taking on a challenge. Uh, And the word suffering has a negative connotation to it, in my opinion. It's what we label as really challenging, right? But it's like, oh, it's a victim perspective. To me, reframing suffering as just a challenge where benefit comes on the other side could be more useful to people to our perspective, right? Something I've heard you say, though, is the path of the shaman is a path of suffering. What do you feel like is a, a, how do I want to phrase this? Because you in your own way are a shaman with tobacco. You're a tobacco, right? Did it require suffering or what we experience as suffering to get to a place of understanding, does it absolutely require deep, deep suffering or challenge to, to gain the understanding? I think the short answer is yes, but I think what a lot of these paths are hopefully doing is trying to alleviate the degree to which we have to do that. Mm. Um, you know, even something like mindfulness can be a, a very powerful practice to, to 
to begin to alleviate that in a way that's that's not super challenging. Um, it's you know it, it's also interesting because and, and this will this will be a little controversial, but I, I remember <laughs> we like controversial. <laughs> Rock the boat. I remember reading. Uh, I think it was the. Uh, uh, the Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle, mm. um, which which really had a profound impact on me. But one of the things he said that that I, I didn't that it kind of rubbed me the wrong way when I read it was this idea that you know he was saying something along the lines of women actually are more open, like they have an easier time accessing. <laughs> I remember this too, and it pissed me off as well. <laughs> God damn it. And I, was like, well, I feel pretty good about that. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think what I've come to understand is that that is true. And it, and it goes back to these archetypes of, of what it means to be a man, a woman, of, of, of masculine energy, of feminine energy. And that, you know, these very simple things, like it's the woman who is life-giving, she, she already carries that energy in her. You know, whether we're a man or a woman, we all suckle from the breast of our mother. Um, so we all have that inherent connection to the mother. The mother is the one that, that supports life, that, that, that gives life. And I think in that way, there's less of a resistance because that life-giving energy is already imbued in her, her very being. It's also the reason that, that men tend to go to war is because they're, they're physically different and it's, it's the archetype of Shiva. You know, Shiva is also a, a man and he's the destroyer of life. He's the one who has the ability to take life. And so I think in that way, you know, deep down inside ourselves as men, that, that aspect of death is much more prevalent. There's more of a war, an internal war going on mm-hmm. of, of even if you look evolutionarily, that was something we had to deal with on a much more physical basis. You know, even, even in wartime, it's like you killed all the men, the women were spared. Um, and perspective. so I think there's often a resistance to that in a lot of men, that there's something that's more tangible, which is also why if you look traditionally, I think many of these paths tended to be more male dominated because they're, they're, potentially wasn't as much of a need for women going down that path because they were already, they had that connection. Mm. You know, it's one of the things you even see in like ayahuasca, sometimes ceremonies is when a woman is on her moon, they, they say, well, don't drink ayahuasca. And, you know, that can be kind of controversial, but from my, from my understanding of that, it's because the woman is already going through her own ceremony. Like she doesn't need plant medicine in that time. Like she already has this medicine running through her body like it, it's already there. There's already that connection with it. So, um, you know, I, I think to, to kind of get to what both of you were saying, like that kind of mirrors that classic archetype, you know, there's, there's something that's, that's, I think more drawn to the quality of death within men, but there's something that's more life-giving in the form of a woman. Both still experience suffering because again, as, as the Buddha was saying, suffering is inherent to the human being. Like we all have to face death at some point. Uh, we all will experience anxiety. We will all experience the loss of loved ones, the loss of our parents, you know, maybe the loss of our child, the loss of our partner. And all of those things are gonna be challenging no matter who we are. 
and it, you know, as you said, it, it, you know, all of these words, it, there's a real power in words. And, and, and so, you know, also finding words that do resonate with you. If a word doesn't resonate, I think that's, that's super important is to, to, to find the essence of what it's pointing towards and then reframing it in something that does have meaning. Because yes, it's also very easy, you could say with suffering, to, to look at that as, as a victim mentality. And uh, for sure, something that I think these plants are pointing towards is overcoming that. It's overcoming these challenges. It's, it's super, super common, running ayahuasca circles, running tobacco dietas, all of these things that come up, the vast majority of them are, as you said, these things of like, I am a victim. And it's, it's enforcing this ego identity. You know, I am the one who's suffering. I am the one who my father did this when I was a kid, or my partner did this, or my mother didn't love me, or I did this thing wrong. You know, and these things, they begin to enforce this ego identity. And it's not that we we push those away as if they didn't happen. It's fully accepting those, you know, fully accepting those and then learning from those. And I think that's where these these esoteric ideas of like alchemy come in. It's transmuting those. It's not getting rid of them. It's transmuting the base metal into gold. It's transmuting those to where we learn from it. We see it. We can grow from it. And then we can truly stand in our power which is another really common aspect of, of all of these shamanic traditions is this idea of power that essentially that's what they're trying to imbue us with and not and, and that's where you know i think sometimes people overlook the duality of shamanism you, you have the the one who can harm and the one who can heal mm. and we all have that in us we we are all shamans to some degree with our words with our actions we can cause good or we can cause bad we can harm with our words or we can heal with our words we all have that potentiality and so to really stand in that place of power is to realize that power that we do have to not see ourselves as a victim and then from that place place of power with our words with our actions how are we able to help to heal ourselves and then how are we also help to to heal others and and you know that's that's a really, really, I think, important aspect of, of all of these paths is eventually this, this work becomes selfless. It has to start as a, as a selfish pursuit <laughs> because it comes down to us at the end of the day. You know, no one's going to do this work for us and no one else is going to change the world other than ourselves. And certainly no one's going to change us other than us. So we have to start from the place of, of me through this vessel that we were born into but as we begin to do that, whether we choose to or not, you know, consciously or not, our words and our actions then begin to come from that place of, of power, of love, of healing, of union, rather than from a place of separation. You know, it's interesting for me in my, my path of learning these things it was actually externalized first so i was like oh i need to learn all this stuff to help people but it was really just a projection onto my my external circumstances like i need to be the one to learn it's coming more from ego and then i was like oh why am i not asking these questions for myself about myself and that's when i realized oh maybe it should be here to then really genuinely share outwardly What's the process for you? Because if we haven't said it clearly yet, like you, you are a facilitator of sorts for specifically tobaccos where kind of your journey is at this moment. 
So what's it been like for you to move from this space of selfish to selfless about you to about others and in moving to a space of supporting others, how do you release yourself from judging their reactions, their experiences? How do you release yourself from it triggering something for you? Just curious how you kind of separate yourself from the, the way you offer your healing for others. Yeah, it's a great question. And it's something I saw a lot in the beginning when I was doing this work is, is, is like anything, there's all these ideas floating around and it's really easy to take those ideas in. And I think something that's really important, again, going back to curiosity is to always question, to question everything, you know, not to take anything as being true just because someone has said it's true. Um, to really experience that, to, to question, to go in, to find it within ourselves. Like, is this true? And if it is, okay, then I can say it. But if it's not, not to say it just because someone else has said it's true. And it, to your question, you know, one idea that, that I often heard was like, well, I'm, I'm doing this work in service for others and we all need to be in service. And I always felt that that was off. Like it, it felt very egotistical to me. It felt like it was bypassing something. And, and I think it really is because, you know, again, service isn't noble if it's not coming from a place that's really rooted within us. Um, and we have to do this work on ourselves first. That's the only way. One can't facilitate or guide other people if they haven't done the work themselves. It, it's impossible. Those words become empty. So we have to start with ourselves. We, we have to do this work for ourselves. And, and an example I often use is, is again, martial arts like jujitsu, which I practice. I, I'm not, I wouldn't call myself a teacher of jujitsu, um, but I have taught it. Um, and, but almost always it's because someone has come and asked me, you know, so in jujitsu for just using that as an example, you have different belts, you know, and you start out as a white belt, <clears throat> everything is new, you're constantly being taught. As you begin to progress, you get better, you get to blue belt, and then you get a purple belt, and maybe a brown belt, a black belt. And in that process, it's not like there's a point where someone goes, okay, now you're a teacher, like you've achieved purple belt, you're a teacher now, you know, or you've achieved black belt, now you're a teacher. I think it's really a gradual process. You know, when you're a white belt, you're not a teacher. <laughs> don't, don't learn from anyone who's a white belt because they're not going to teach you well because they don't have that, that lived experience. But as you become a blue belt, you know, you may do a move on a white belt and that white belt comes to you and he's like, man, how did you do that? That was really good. If you can share with that person, you're not doing it from like an egotistical point of view. You're not like trying to teach. That person has come to you in need. And I think like any good human being, if someone comes to us in need, then we offer help if we can help. And so I think there's, you know, there's just a very gradual progression. And as you as you go more and more into that path, whether it's jujitsu, people will come to one more and more asking for help, asking for guidance. And so I think we just find ourselves naturally in that role. And I think it was very similar for, for this plant medicine path. Like I never started with the idea of like, I want to do this work. It was always for me, it was a deep curiosity of, of my interest in, in plant medicine and in, in, 
consciousness and in life. And then I just found myself kind of in that role. Um, people asked me like, hey, can you facilitate? It was never like me going like, hey, can I, you know, I, I want to facilitate. Here's my resume. Here's my credentials. Can mm -hmm. I do this? Um, it was the same thing when I when I started working with plants, uh, with, with tobacco and, and tree medicine. <clears throat> I'd finished uh, this process. And then I remember very specifically, my teacher told me like, okay, you're done. We actually did a little bit more training, but he said, you know, now at this point, you're done. Don't come back to me wherever <laughs> you go, buy a little book of local plants and learn how to use them. Do what I've taught you don't call me ever again. <laughs> and I was kind of like, Oh my God, I've got all these questions. I don't know what I'm doing. I right. want to have a relationship with you. But like, I remember that very strongly. And, and so I listened to that and, and I just slowly started working. And I, I, in the beginning, I felt like I had no idea what I was doing, but I did, you know, even though I didn't necessarily know it in form, I knew it through my own personal experience. And so as things began to come up, I was like, Oh yeah. Like, I went through that. This is what I did to get out of it or to, to navigate it. Working with other people, like I, I saw that in other people. And, and so I could build upon that. You know, a lot is like pattern recognition and understanding through one's own experience. When things come up, like, will they trigger me 100%? You know, no one is infallible to that degree. But I think the, the more we do this work, the, the deeper we go, we have an ability to hopefully be able to recognize, okay, like that's that person's stuff. Like it's not personal to me. How do I work with that? How do I navigate that? And there's going to be some things that come up that are my stuff, you know, and then do I have the humility? Do I have the, the integrity to, to, to own that, to say, okay, you know, I made a mistake. Can I apologize for that? Can I, can I work on that? Can I, can I, can I transmute that through that alchemical process? Um, but I think like anything, the more we do this, the easier it does become in a way like that is something that does become easier. You know, the more we work with people, the more we do this work, the easier it becomes to, to hold that space, to guide other people like anything just through experience that that becomes an easier path i could actually speak to a possible trigger maybe it didn't trigger you maybe it didn't or did or didn't but when i was on diet with you my intention was to do two weeks and i actually decided that it was best for myself to do just one when i had committed to two right as you know and i shared this with you and you very easily could have been triggered like is this is this about me is this about my retreat is this about what we're offering um, or cast judgment or yeah I mean very much could have brought things up for you and you could speak to your own experience of it but my experience of you and in, in that was so gracious and accepting what was the right thing for me at that moment and as um, a participator in the retreat that you're offering that's huge that's huge I don't want to experience some sort of external shame about a choice that might be hard and nobody does Nobody, I mean, I mean, it's going to be natural that that comes up for you or the person that is making the choice for them and they feel shameful in that. But however, we can recognize that this is my stuff or this is their stuff and it's not about me or vice versa. I recognize my stuff in this situation and it's my stuff and I'll, I'll work on it on my own. Um, so that was just a real life 
possibility for you having to. What was your, um, if you could share like what, what, you know, Tyler says he's going to leave a week earlier than expected. Like what goes through your head? Well, I think all of the things you said, I mean, all of those things are are naturally going to come up. Um, you know, like, was I not able to help this person enough? Is that the best thing for them? Uh, you know, all of these things can come up. Money can come up. Uh, logistics can come up. All of these things. It, again, it's natural. I, I think to pretend like that none of these things come up would be would be foolish in a way. Mm-hmm. It's like if 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 I fall in the ground and I break my leg, it's going to hurt, or you know, <laughs> pain is going to come up. Um, so, but again, I think like anything, hopefully the more we do this, it's okay. That stuff comes up. How quickly can I see it for what it is? And then focus on what's actually happening. What's happening is, okay, you know, Tyler has said this, what's the best thing for him? Is that the best thing for him? If the answer is yes, then that's what I want for him. Like if I truly want, if I'm trying to help him and that's what he's saying is the best thing for him, then that's what I want. And you know, this, I mean, this can be a really, really tough thing. It, it's something I see a lot when I do this work is, you know, we understand that on an intellectual level, but when it comes to our own experience of things, it can be very challenging. We're in a relationship and our partner says, that's it, I'm done. I'm not happy. I want to leave. <laughs> we often take that to be very personal and, mm. and we fight it and we get angry at them. Yeah, but you said this and we had this agreement and, uh, you know, all of these things come up. But if I truly love my partner and they're saying what I want to be happy is to leave and I truly want them to be happy, then that means I would support their decision. But that can be very challenging, you know, as I'm sure all of us know, like that's, that's a difficult thing to do, but it comes down to what is it that we actually want. And, and in this work, like any doctor, I think what we really want is the health and well-being of our patients. And that's, that's kind of the Hippocratic Oath too, right, is do no harm. Now, that can also change. That doesn't necessarily just mean like everything the patient says, I go along with, you know, the mm. patient says, well, I really feel like I want to slip my wrist today. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, that's what you want. I'm going to allow you to do it. <laughs> like, no, that's, that's, that's harming oneself. And, and I need to step in and, and stop that at least while they're under my care. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you know, what, what eventually they do in their own lives, I, I can't control. But, you know, in, in the example you used, it felt very genuine. Like it felt like you had this calling to, to actually go home. And, and that's a really common thing too. You know, that's why we always tell people when they come down, like come down for, for two weeks, you know, come down for three weeks. People often say, Oh, you know, I want to come down for, for five dietas. And it's like, no, 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 like, like <laughs> slow down, like, start with one, start with two, see how it goes. Um, because often a lot of things come up and those things that come up, they may need to be put into action. And that's a big part of the work. You know, it's, it's not that doing five dietas is inherently going to be better than doing one, like doing one may give you what you need, at least in that moment to then go like have those realizations and begin to implement them into your lives. And, and that's, what's really helping the person and trying to keep them there for another four dietas just for, you know, money mm-hmm. or for, for prestige or whatever. That's, that's not really helping them. Mm. Yeah. It's funny. I, when I was considering signing up for the retreats, I was like, I definitely want to do three. 
but I know I'm a little impulsive. I should probably just sign up for two. It turns out I completed one. <laughs> so it's interesting to recognize that myself. But I, I do want to get into depth around tobacco um, and diets. And this is very much like where a lot of your energy is going to these days, not being at the temple of the way of light now. Um, why are you spending so much time? Uh, just more, probably more part-time. And, and, and they, they've also been closed, but uh, okay. I, I will still be working there to some degree. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So as soon as things kind of get back to normal, you'll be spending equal amount of time. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll see. Uh, it's kind of still up in the air, but I, I, I still plan to, to work there to, to some degree and, okay. and continue that work as well. Yeah. So why tobacco and what is the process that you recommend to people in working with plants in general? Because a lot of people go straight to ayahuasca. That might not be the right thing, but that's what people know because it's popular now. Um, when I speak to people about my experience with tobacco, they're like, what cigarettes you're going down to drink cigarettes what the fuck is wrong with you <laughs> so uh if you wouldn't mind sharing more in depth around like why tobacco the process of, of dieting tobacco and trees and then what might progress in thereafter more, yeah well it's interesting because i i also started with ayahuasca and uh, you know i i think i turned out hopefully more or less okay um, <laughs> But in many traditions, in, in, the, in the tobacco tradition I was trained with, also with, with another teacher of mine, his name is Amika, uh, who I also did a, a podcast with. In many of these Amazonian traditions, they, they would say that tobacco was the first plant. And without going into too much detail. We can go to your podcast for that. Yeah, <laughs> go to the podcast for that. But they often say there was this like primordial anaconda canoe. And again, very similar humanity was suffering. There was a longing to remember who they were. They had, they had lost their connection to source. They were, they were lost in the madness of the human condition. And again, this is who knows how many thousands of years ago, hundreds of thousands of years ago. So they, they had this deep longing and this call was answered. And, and in, in the, the Tubu tradition, they, they say it, 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 it came from Sirius, which is quite interesting because actually a lot of ancient cultures seem to say there was this like this other intelligence coming from Sirius. And it, <clears throat> it came down in this primordial anaconda canoe and, and the first plant in that canoe was tobacco. And you had uh, tobacco in the form of liquid, you had uh, smoking of tobacco, you had the ambil, which is like a paste, you had the rape, which is the, the powder that can be inhaled, and you had coca. And they would say these were the these were the medicines that really begin to connect us. They begin to open us. They begin to like form that base, that foundation. Uh, and then from there, there was these plants like uh, peyote, wachuma, mushrooms, and they really begin to connect us to this world, to this earth, to open our heart. Uh, moving on from that, there's uh, there's there's toei, which they would say kind of teaches us how to become a doctor in a way. And then the final level are these plants that they would call the queens of knowledge, which are things like yopo, which is very similar to ayahuasca, ayahuasca, and, and he calls it jemaru, which is marijuana, but actually uh, drinking it or, or mm. taking it. Um, and those really begin to allow us to transcend what they would say are the 12 dimensions of time and space to, to truly remember who we are. So in that way, uh, 
many of these traditions, even the Shipibos would say this, that it's really important to diet, to get that base, to work with these plants before one begins to move towards these other plants like ayahuasca, because we can really become ungrounded there. We can kind of get lost in the, they would say the mariación, the effect. Um, and that was something I, I never necessarily believed because I, I had worked with ayahuasca, I had had these amazing experiences. But also the more I do this work, I can really understand that. And I, I see a very different quality in many people who've maybe only worked with ayahuasca versus people who've worked with ayahuasca and have also worked with tobacco. Like I've seen tobacco have a tremendous shift in people uh, who've also worked with other plants. Like really this idea of rooting, of grounding, of taking all of this stuff that's up there and actually bringing it into an embodied uh, experience and, and really allowing people to walk a life that, that has meaning and has purpose and actually takes all of these things and allows them to, to really live that, to embody that, which is very different, I think, from some of these things that we can just maybe learn from ayahuasca, but it's very maybe difficult to then be a person who carries that knowledge. Um, it's a very different experience just to experience something and be someone who actually lives that experience. And I think that's where tobacco is really powerful. Um, you know, it's really connected to this idea of rooting to, to the earth, to nature, to, to groundedness, to strength, to power, to clarity, to integrity, to the word. Uh, that's even where, like, where you guys are coming from in the U.S., like the, the peace pipe. It was always you would before speaking the word, everyone would hail from this pipe of tobacco. And the idea was through tobacco. Once we ingest that, we give ourselves a second. And then hopefully the words that we say come from this place of power. They come from this place of truth. They, they come from a place of clarity. They're not words that they divide, but they're words that unite. So. <clears throat> Tobacco is, uh, you know, as you said, most people, when they think of tobacco, they think of cigarettes, um, which <laughs> I could probably talk a lot about this. I'll try and keep it short, but, you know, it's, it's something, it's a very fascinating thing because even like, if you look at like marijuana right now, I think so many people look at marijuana and they're like, well, this is a plant and it's medicine. And we've been taught all of this propaganda that's bad and, and yet many of those people who say that will then say, you know, but look at tobacco. That's that's the real killer. <laughs> mm. And it's like you've been fed this propaganda about marijuana. You, you've seen through that. But now you're putting that same thing on tobacco and uh, it, tobacco of all of the medicines in the Americas. It was by far the most commonly used plant in all of the Americas as medicine. It was considered the primary medicine of, of many, many, many indigenous groups. And, and really, that's why tobacco is so prevalent, is because it was seen as medicine. Even when the Europeans, the Africans, the immigrants came over, they were all using tobacco because it had this very powerful medicinal quality. It was used in the bubonic plague. Like if you look at the guys who were carrying the bodies out, you know, all of the, 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 the disease-infested bodies, they all had a tobacco pipe that they were smoking. Um, it's, uh, you know, it, it had all of these amazing properties of like expelling phlegm and um, uh, killing viruses, de de deworming us, you know, all of these, these really powerful medicinal uses. But more than that, it was seen as a, as a master plant. It was seen as a plant that had the ability to teach us. 
And much in the same way that there's doctors who work with, who work with ayahuasca, they would be called ayahuasqueros or uh, people who work with senango, they'd be called sanangueros. You also have tabaqueros, people who work with tobacco. And in many of the indigenous languages, or at least in some of them, uh, the word for tobacco was actually the same word as their word for doctor. So a doctor was someone who worked with tobacco. Um, and I think that's why, again, tobacco is so prevalent is because people knew and there was this tradition of working with it. Unfortunately, like many things, a lot of those traditions were lost. Uh, people forgot the stories, which may sound strange. But for example, this guy who I mentioned, Amika, in his tradition, anytime you work with any plant, you always tell the story. Mm. And that's super important. You know, I would remember sitting in these circles with him and it's like, okay, the tobacco is coming around. Well, you have to tell the story. It's like, Jesus, man, like I've heard this story 50 times. You know? like, <laughs> but I really began to see there's something really powerful in that because through that story, there, there, on a deeper level, there's almost like these codes that are being imparted in these stories that, that are these teachings that we're beginning to learn. <clears throat> we're setting aside a time, a space. It's not something we just do casually. It's something that's done ceremonially. Mm. And so, you know, all of these things are creating this environment where it allows this thing to actually become a medicine. <clears throat> so, uh, you know, unfortunately with, with cigarettes, you know, many people probably don't even realize like tobacco is a plant. I mean, that may sound <laughs> crazy to some people. Probably a lot of people- be, I'd be sad to hear anybody that doesn't know tobacco is actually a plant. Wow. <laughs> um, and, you know, unfortunately with cigarettes, there's a few things. One, there's a lot of chemicals that have been added to them. Um, you know, I, I often joke uh, that it's amazing cigarettes don't kill more people. You know, you're ingesting like four to 8,000 chemicals every time you smoke a cigarette. Like probably the reason more people don't die from, from cigarettes is because they actually at least have a little bit of tobacco still in them. Mm. Um, you know, imagine anything else you're eating. I mean, we know that from even foods now, from, from air pollution. You know, a really yeah. interesting thing is as uh, tobacco consumption decreases, lung cancer is increasing. So, you know, it's not just hmm, cigarettes that we're causing that. It's, it's, yeah. it's pollutants, chemicals hmm. that, that all of us are ingesting in us. Now, you know, so again, there, there's a lot of chemicals added to it. it. It's also the curing process. Almost all cigarettes are, it's called flu curing or fire curing. So in order to expedite the process, instead of air curing it, which is how tobacco is always cured, that's still how to, uh, cigars and most pipe tobacco is cured. With cigarettes, you do it under fire. Well, to produce that fire, you have to have some some source, which is usually yeah. like propane gas or something. So all of that tobacco is like, you know, soaking up all of that 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 propane or whatever the heating source is. So, you know, I think there, there there's a number of reasons why now commercial tobacco is is not the best thing to probably consume. But when we're talking about tobacco, we're talking about tobacco in its holy form, the plant that's been cured. And the only thing that's been added to it is, is sometimes some um, uh, rum, it's called aguardiente, and maybe some molasses. Um, and that's how you cure it, you, you roll it, you ferment it, and then you use it and you either ingest it through drinking it, through smoking it, through the paste, and it's a pure plant. 
now, like anything, tobacco is very, very strong. Like any of these plants, if you take too much of it, you can have problems. <laughs> you know, you wouldn't just give someone a huge bottle of ayahuasca. You wouldn't give someone a glass of toe. You wouldn't give someone, you know, a, a pound of aboga bark and say, you know, <laughs> good luck. The, the, the dosis is very important. Uh, the, the dose is very important. So it's the same with tobacco. And, um, you know, also, unfortunately, there's very few people, I think, left in the world who still carry that knowledge of tobacco. Most of them have either died because there's been a lack of interest in continuing those traditions by the people in those traditions. Uh, historically, many were, were killed through, through conquest, through Christianity, you know, demonizing the, the shaman, the cordandero, killing them because they were the lifeline of the community. Uh, through propaganda of demonizing these plants as, you know, the devil's work. Um, so a lot of that knowledge has unfortunately been lost. Uh, you know, I, I feel very fortunate that I, I found someone who, who still carries that tradition very deeply. Um, and it, like any of these master plants, the, the things like ayahuasca, tobacco, iboga, peyote, wachuma, in general, the way to work with them is to go through some sort of initiatory experience where, and this kind of goes back to that idea of suffering, of really beginning to set aside, to restrict oneself, to really prepare oneself for that journey of deeply working with the plant, kind of going back to that ceremonial, that story aspect that I was talking about with Amika, you know, it's not just something you take. And, you know, I think that's, that's one of the downsides of, of, of a lot of the, the, the cult in which these medicines are moving towards is something much more recreational. And it's not that recreational is bad, like recreational is amazing. Even the etymology of that word, it's, it's to recreate, you know, it's to rebirth. There's an amazing aspect to that. And that has its time and its place. And tobacco is actually one of the, an amazing plant in the way that you can work with it in a sense recreationally, like you can smoke it. It's not going to have yeah. a, a huge effect on you. You can take the paste, you can work with rape, like you can take it on a regular basis. And, you know, as long as you're doing that in a way, I think that that honors that the medicine and, and the, the, the tradition and the dose, you, you can do it and, and actually gain a lot of benefit from it. But that's not when we're talking about working with ayahuasca or with tobacco, that's not what we're talking about. We're, we're talking about working with it in an initiatory way where you really restrict one's lifestyle. And again, that's part of that, that idea of suffering. It's like, am I willing to give up these things? Am I willing to give up sex? Am I willing to give up food? Am I willing to give up alcohol? Am I willing to give up social interactions? Am I willing to go into isolation for a week, two weeks, a month, five months, six months, whatever it is? and really work with this plant, essentially just ingest this plant and be with myself and, you know, experience the, the purging benefits, the, the, the physical cleansing of it, to experience just being with our mind, all of the things that begin to come up, all of the stories, the beliefs, the, the victim mentalities, you know, all of these things. And then on the level of spirit, like, am I willing to then in that space of being very, very sensitive, can I also be receptive to this idea of spirit, whether, however we want to look at that, the spirit of the plant, God, consciousness, whatever it is, really being able to learn from, and I don't necessarily like this word, but for, again, for maybe a lack of better word, a, a higher source, something that's beyond what I normally do in my day-to-day -day five sense live mm -hmm. life, 
being open in that space and receiving something that's connecting me to something that's greater, that that's, that's downloading something that for so many of us has been lost and that's ultimately leading towards these very simple ideas of, of what it means to be a human, of things like joy, peace, contentment, love, which I think is what all of these plants are, are actually pointing towards. And, and tobacco is, is one of the, the main plants that was used traditionally as a master plant, a plant that had the ability to heal us, to teach us on all of these levels, the physical level, the mental, emotional level, and the spiritual level. Yeah. And if anybody has, you know, any more questions or wants to know about tobacco at a, at a greater extent, like I said, go listen to Jason's podcast because he's the man to, to learn from. I, I really don't know many other people that are talking about diets. Um, and maybe I'm just, you know, so involved in what you're putting out there. I'm not looking for anybody else, but I really don't think there's much good information out there other than what you're, you're offering. So if you're interested in that people go check them out. Um, you know, also a lot of, um, <clears throat> I've seen a lot of like people at the temple, a lot of the Shpibo, uh, they've started to form their own centers and they're also offering mm-hmm. dieting. Which oh, they are. Okay. Is a very, like, that's the way you also learn with plants. Mm-hmm. It's a slightly different tradition, but I also have a you know tremendous respect for, for a lot of the Shpibo. They, they do amazing work also. So, yeah, um, I think one of the last questions that I'll have in, in well, unless you have any more, um, but I'm really curious about how you feel about um, the traditional approach to working with the plants, um, you know, shaman that, that carry on the lineage from the, the ceremonies over thousands of years versus how Westerners are now. And obviously you are a Westerner taking your own approach to this, but I'd say you're still pretty close to the source of what a traditional tobacco, um, teacher or ceremony might look like, but, many people are taking these things and making them look way different. So how do you feel about Western culture changing all of this? And do you think that, uh, well, are you worried at all? I guess. <laughs> I, I listened to an interview recently with, uh, I don't know if you know, Lex Friedman. I uh, do. Yeah. 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 I really like him. And he was interviewing uh, Jocko Willinks. Uh, oh yeah. It was another amazing guy. And it was very funny. He, he kept asking Lex Friedman kept asking him basically the same question. He's like, are you worried about AI? And Jocko would be like, no, I'm not worried about it. And he's like, well, are you worried about like the direction the world is moving? He's like, no, I'm not worried about it. <laughs> and it, just, it kept happening. And finally you could see like what Jocko was saying is like, no, I'm not worried about these things because worrying about them isn't going to do anything. It's like, you know, we can take action, we can do things, but worrying about it. So I, I think in that same line of thinking, no, I mean, because I think from a higher point of view, things always work themselves out. Things are always, there's a purpose behind them. There's a natural evolution. Sometimes we may have to go to some really dark places to, to get that out so that we can move uh, to a better place. Um, but are there issues? A hundred percent. And, and there, there's no real answer to all of these things. I mean, there's, 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 a, there's a benefit to both sides. Uh, these traditional processes, they're rooted in hundreds, thousands, maybe tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of years of, of knowledge, of trial and error, of experimentation, of, of, of work and wisdom. Uh, so to throw that away would be foolish. It would be foolish. Um, 
I think it was Isaac Newton who said, uh, if I've done anything great in my life, it's only because I've stood on the shoulders of giants. Mm. And that's how hopefully everything grows and evolves, is, is we take all of that wisdom, all of that knowledge, and then you know maybe we can add something small onto that and help to contribute to its growth. Um, you know, having said that, stagnation is also equivalent to death. That's entropy. Mm. So you know, none of these these traditions are stagnant. They're also alive. They're changing. They're growing. They're evolving. Um, and it, you know, something I really see on on the other side of that is uh, I think it was a guy from Iceers. I've, I've said this a number of times, but he had this beautiful quote where he said, "When when the Europeans first came to the Americas." They said that the indigenous people were too indigenous and they needed to be more European. And and he said, now we we say the same thing just from the other side. We say they're they're too European, they need to be more indigenous. Mm. <laughs> and it's the same discrimination. It's just it's from the other side, seemingly mm. from a place of like, you know, these people need to stay who they are because they are who they are and I want them to stay that way. And I don't want them to change, even though they may want to change. I don't want them to change. Um, so change is inevitable. Uh, you know, most of the Shpibo, most of the good Cordanderos I know, you know, they, they wear Western clothes. Why? Because they're more comfortable. They're cheaper. They blend into society more. They don't draw attention. Uh, to work with any group of people, you have to blend in with them. You have to work in that in that setting. It, it's very much like the Sufis in Islam. Like the, the Sufis weren't Muslim; they were they were people who were looking for the truth. But in order to preserve that, they had to blend into the prevailing uh, society of the time, which was a, an Islamic society. So it. It, it, their teachings came under the, the the guise of Islam, but they were esoteric teachings. Um, it's the same. You, you see it a lot in in many of these indigenous cultures with Christianity. Like a lot of their teachings have been infused with Christianity. Um, many of them really believe in those teachings. Some of them maybe just use them because it's more acceptable to the the general populace, which they're trying to work with, who are Christians. Um, <clears throat> so. For me, I really like, again, I, I mentioned a couple of times this teacher of mine, Amika, the, this guy from the Tubu Nation, and it, it's something really beautiful, and I have a lot of respect for him, and, uh, you know, his, his people were essentially wiped out through colonization, through mining companies, through just the Colombian society at large, and it, it was always fascinating looking at him because like that guy should have a lot of resentment. <laughs> uh, you know, we, even in the U S we talk about like these ancestral wounds and traumas and those are real. Um, but I look at the, that guy and like, he's, he seems very much at peace. And, and I think that's the real wisdom is, is also realizing that even those, though these things happened, this is how life is and, and how do I move forward with that? And it was very fascinating because his tradition predicted all of these things. Like his, his great, great grandfathers told him these stories that like one day our tribe will be wiped out mm. and it will happen this, this, and this way. But it's really fascinating because he also says like, it wasn't the Spanish who wiped us out. 
it was ourselves because we forgot our stories. We became disconnected from our origin myths. And that's what allowed these people to eventually wipe us out. Mm. And also in that story, which is very beautiful, and he would say, he always kind of like I was saying with my teacher, but when, it, when his grandfather would tell him this story, it was the story of these people called the Diro Amasa, the, the children of the new dawn. And he would always say, you know, that sounds ridiculous. Like he said, you know, it was these tall people with green eyes that, that were going to come and, and bring the medicine of the four directions together. And he would think, no, you know, we're living in the jungle. Everything's fine. It's this pristine environment. This isn't going to happen. I've never seen these people before. And sure enough, it came to pass. And I think he also had a lot of anger around that, that, that this change was coming. And like, you know, who are these people? Who are these Colombian people? And, uh, you know, they, they've, they're, they're wiping us out, all this anger. And the, the FARC was there. I think the FARC killed some of his family. And, uh, you know, especially during that time, Colombia was very tumultuous, so a lot of internal warfare. But eventually he came to see that these myths of his grandfathers came to pass. <clears throat> And the story, the, these these Dirdo Amasan people, the children of the New Dawn, he said they they were they were people of mixed race, people who would bring together the medicine of the four directions, that that no culture in and of themselves had all of the answers. They all had a very particular knowledge that was super valuable and super important, and it needed to be preserved. But in order for the world to continue, all of that knowledge, all of that medicine from the four directions, the north, the south, the east, and the west, it had to come together. And these children of the new dawn would be the ones who brought it together and created a new maloka. And in the Amazon, the maloka, it's not only the ceremonial place, it's also the house, and it's also symbolic of the world. So in order to create this new world, to create this new earth, all of these people have to come together carrying the lineages of all of these traditions. And one is no more valuable than the other. Every lineage has its power. Every lineage has its knowledge and bringing those together and creating something new. And I think that's a really beautiful way of, of looking at it. And mm -hmm. you know, I think for myself in my way, hopefully I can contribute some small piece of that because I'm not Amazonian, I'm not Shipibo, I'm, I'm not any of these things. And yet there was something in me that felt really drawn to these traditions because I saw a real wisdom in them. Mm -hmm. So can I take that and also imbue it with all of the things that I bring, with the knowledge that I've come to learn, the practices that I've come to learn, and to hopefully create something that's based in all of these, but that's bringing those together in, in hopefully a new way. And I think if we can do that, you know, all of this, we can do that, really honor all of these traditions, see the beauty in them, see the power, see the knowledge, and, and find a way to bring all of these together. You know, that's really the answer to, to all of these problems that we're, we're facing. And I think you are. I really do. You and Marav, Marav Artsy, uh, you, you are creating that right now. I've experienced the benefit of it, and I, I know a lot of people have. Um, and I know that it, it, I would be very much less likely to have dieted tobacco if it wouldn't have been through somebody I could like communicate well with and have a connection with such as you. Um, I don't speak Spanish. Um, I wouldn't, I'm, I wouldn't be the type of person to go out into the, the jungle and just find a teacher like that. That's less of the way that I would, I would find my teacher. Um, so 
working with you and finding you worked out for me mm-hmm. as I'm sure it will for others. Mm-hmm. Well, did you have anything else that you wanted to ask or no? Okay. I feel like even just the story you just gave us was such a beautiful place to end it on as well. And I, again, just want to appreciate you, Jason, for chatting with us today and sharing with us your thoughts and your perspective and the work that you do. Um, And I hope that, you know, through our conversation today that more people are curious and do something with that curiosity. And um, do you have any last words, Tyler? Well, the last (laughs) question that we like to ask our guests is, and this will be especially precarious for you because you've been on so many journeys. But the the question is, what do you find to be the most influential journey you've been on thus far? And it doesn't have to be a plant medicine journey. It can be any, you can take that in any sort of way, but that's our staple question. I mean, I, I think it, everything I've been I, I've, I've been on or been through has really contributed to that. Um, martial arts have had a significant impact in my life. Traveling has had a significant impact. Uh, family, you know, really being grateful to, to to my parents, to my grandparents for the knowledge they they gave to me. Um, really everything. I mean, certainly, certainly these plants have had a, a significant impact on my life, which is why I also continue to work with them. And, and I also believe they have a real power to, to change the world in a way. I think that's why, you know, for me, when I was looking at the root of all of these spiritual traditions, they were all pointing towards the same thing. And, and I think at the root of, of all of those was some process, some rite, some ritual uh, that, as you said, put us on the road to awe. And, and I think at, at, at the root, that's what we're all looking for. And I, I think these plants have a tremendous ability to do that. And it's not easy. Uh, you know, it, it's a lot of work. Uh, <laughs> like I said, uh, you know, I could probably hang out the gloves at any, at any moment just because uh, I, I hesitate to say I know the power of these plants because every time I say that, uh, they come back and, and, and crush me. And, <laughs> Don't even put that out there, Jason, because we're going to come for you. <laughs> um, but I think they, they have a real ability to, to give us humility and gratitude and awe. And, and I think that's a really important thing. And, and, and I think, uh, you know, in the, in the coming years, it's, 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 it's already spreading. And, and I think as societies that we can find ways to really begin to integrate these things into our lives, because I, you know, it, it may sound like a grandiose thing, but I, I think that that is one of the things that will help us to to not only survive, but to grow and and uh, to really learn and to evolve. And and I think that's something that these plants have an amazing ability to do is to help with that evolution. And and that's why these indigenous cultures had such respect for them. Uh, they they. You know, even often, like if I talk to some of the Shipibo, they'll, they'll say that they have a tremendous respect for their ancestors. And if you ask them why, they say, because they taught us to work with these plants. Mm. You know, it's not that they necessarily taught us X, Y, and Z, or that this is this way, or this is this way. It's just they gave us this knowledge of how to work with these plants, which have the ability to teach us on a really deep and experiential level. So... 
yeah, I would say some some combination of all of those, but but certainly the plant medicine has been a big part. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing. Thank you for being who you are and spreading the message and offering offering this direction to people, myself included. You've been a great teacher and mentor for me, and I really appreciate you. And I appreciate you spending the time with us today. Oh, thank and, you, man. It's my pleasure. It's beautiful seeing you both, and it's really nice meeting you, uh, Tyler. Maybe I shouldn't say it, but he talked a lot about you. and uh, <laughs> <laughs> All bad stuff, though, right? It was all like, oh, God, I can't go home to oh, her. <laughs> and uh, it's great what you guys are doing, you know, uh, bringing this out, and especially having two of you together. It's a really beautiful uh, combination. It, it, it brings a, just a really nice balance. And um and it was also really interesting because I, I just ran a retreat in New York and uh, it really, I started doing a little bit of work with the, uh, with these North native American trees. Oh yeah. And, uh, and I think that may be a bit of my path now is, is kind of bringing those Amazonian traditions, but working with, uh, with American trees, there was something really beautiful about that. So, yeah. I would love to, I'm sure you're going to talk about it at some point I'd, or if I'll, I'll just reach out to you and talk to you more about it as well. Um, that's really interesting, especially obviously we're from this area, we're from this continent. It would be great to develop a relationship with the continent that we live in. Right. Yeah. Um, so you have a website, you have a couple websites, actually. Nicotiana Rustica.org. Yeah. Nicotiana Rustica. That's the, Nic- that's the scientific name of, uh, of the tobacco we work with. Um, mm-hmm. so that's the website for, um, for anything related to tobacco or dieting, the, the work we do with trees and, uh, and then also universewithinpodcast.com. That's the, the podcast I created. Mm. And then do you want anybody to check you out on Instagram? Sure, if they want. Uh, I think it's Universe Within Podcast on Instagram. Okay, cool. Um, I think there's also a Facebook page with that too. <laughs> we'll, we'll plug some stuff, you know. We're, we're super technologically advanced, so <laughs> we got you. It'll be all in the writing. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much, man. Um, have some fun over there in Virginia, eh? <laughs> Well, great brothers it's great seeing you man you, you look well and I'm, I'm really happy to to see you doing well and uh thank you i'm really happy you're doing this podcast and yeah keep in touch and uh absolutely it comes up man uh, we'll, absolutely we'll let me know when the show comes out and i'll do my best to to promote it on on my stuff too thanks man we really appreciate that and uh we'll talk to you soon okay yeah All right, thanks brothers. jason it's meeting you bye-bye nice meeting you